listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. So before we dive into our message this morning, let me open us up with a brief word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be present here now among us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have been walking through a series called Missionaries over this last summer. The main point of this series being, I am God's missionary. Can you say that with me? I am God's missionary. And for a a while, we were kind of doing a bird's eye view of this thing, right? We were looking at at what Scripture said and, and seeing the missional themes throughout all of Scripture. What we started last week is to, to get practical. We started to talk about the five mission practices that we can put into play as God's missionary people, things that we can do. And these are not some sort of brand new ideas. As as you read through this list, even as you just see them on the screen there, you'll see that that these are things that that were very clearly taught in Scripture that Jesus himself did and emulated for us. Last week, we talked about the first two of these, seeking the kingdom Right? We are called to seek God's kingdom first before anything else. Even though we have this tendency to kind of seek to build our own kingdoms, God's calling is to go against that natural impulse and to seek and prioritize His kingdom before anything else. And then number two is hearing from Jesus. Whenever we turn to God's Word, whenever we open God's Word and encounter it directly, He is speaking to us. And we need to have that line of communication open. It needs to be a regular thing, not just once every week, right? And so we talked about the importance of being diligent about our time in God's Word. Today we're going to cover these last three. So the five mission practices, the three we're talking about today are, number three, talking with people, number four, doing good, and number five, ministering through prayer. So let's dive in here. Talking with people. There's a statistic out there, I found it a little bit shocking when I first heard it, 53% of Americans have no one close other than friends or other than immediate family with whom they can talk about really important things in life. 53% of Americans have no one outside of their immediate family that they can talk to about important matters. In other words, people are longing for connection, for that personal connection, aren't they? Talking with people. Now, there's kind of a pre-step that has to happen before we talk to people. Uh, We have to notice them, don't we? You kind of have to notice someone before you can talk to them. 
And I don't know if you've picked up on this in the world that we live in today. We are really, really good at ignoring people, aren't we? Man, we are so good at ignoring people. Anybody else ever stood in the line at Walmart, like, trying desperately to avoid eye contact with with all of the people around you, the people who are like three feet from you? We go to the gym and we, we put in our earbuds so we can be in our own little world. You walk down the street. It's interesting to me that even in some of the more pop, populous cities, like you go to Minneapolis, for example, the more people there are, it almost seems like the less connection there is. I'm not saying that is the case, but it's more visible there. You would think with more people around, there's going to be more of a, a connection, but during my time at the U, I did not find that to be the case at all. It's kind of the opposite. Stan, you can go to the next slide here. This is a, a painting. I love this, this painting because it typifies this. It gives us a, a visual of what we're talking about here. It's called Lift Up Thine Eyes by Norman Rockwell. You can see the sign on the church putting up the letters that say, lift up thine eyes. And what is everybody on the street, what are they all doing? Where are their eyes? They're all downcast. We're all in our own little worlds. You could just insert an iPhone into everybody's hand, and this would easily picture what life is like today. This was 1957. We are really good at ignoring people. Jesus, on the other hand, is really good at noticing people and talking with them. The scripture reading for this morning from the Gospel of John was all about this, right? Jesus called Philip, and Philip went and, and got his brother Nathaniel. And what did Jesus say? He said, I, I saw you there. I noticed you by the fig tree. See, there's no one that Jesus encounters that goes unnoticed, is there? He has eyes for every single one of them. And I don't know if you've, you've noticed this to be true. You found this to be true in your own life. I have in mine. Uh, it's kind of hard to hate people once you get to know them. Isn't it? It's kind of hard to hate them once you actually spend time getting to know them because then they're no longer a caricature, but they're a living flesh and blood human being, right? I mean, the perfect example of this, Packers fans, right? I mean, you look at this person and you think, how in the world, how can they live their life this way? They've gone astray. They're, they're way off, off the path. But then you get, spend time getting to know them and you realize Packers fans are people too. Who knew? Right? I'll have some talks with people after the service. I have no doubt about that. I'm totally okay with it. But there's a difference in talking with someone versus talking at someone too, right? That's an important distinction to make. Uh, it's easy to talk at somebody. Whereas when you're talking with someone, you're responding to the discussion, to the words that, that they're saying in the moment. And it's not just about getting what you have in your head out into the air and then mission accomplished. No, it's about meeting them where they're at. There's a big difference. Now, 
I think for most of us, the big challenge to talking with people, honestly, is finding the time, right? And you're probably thinking, well, when am I in my busy life, in my crazy busy life, when in the world am I supposed to find time for this? Like I'm dropping kids off at sports, and then I've got church to get to, and then I've got my full-time job, and then we've got family commitments, and like before you know it, every single minute of every day is, is occupied, is, is, over, is, is completely full and completely scheduled, right? When am I supposed to find time to talk to people? Well, the good news here, friends, is that you are not Jesus, so you don't have to talk to every single person. One question to consider for you, though, is who is your one? Who is your one? Who is one person that you already know, that you already have some contact with, that maybe God is saying, hey, you need to go a little deeper with this person. You need to cultivate a, a friendship with this person. So we're not talking about adding more and more conversations to an already busy schedule. I mean, if, if, if that's all that we did, we wouldn't be able to do the vocations that God has given us as a father, as a husband, as a, as a child, as a, a worker, right? We couldn't faithfully discharge those. So it's, it's not so much about replacing those as coming alongside of the things that are already happening in your life and sort of tweaking that, that focus, right? Also, there's some encouragement here for introverts. Anybody here an introvert? Yeah, we'll start an Introverts Anonymous Club. I'll be on board with that. Um, now, when an introvert thinks about talking with someone, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, eh, eh, really? Do I, do, I, do I have to? I'm an introvert. Sunday mornings, I get up here and talk for 25 minutes, and then the rest of the week, I don't say a word. So, get all my words out. You can talk to my wife about that, find out if it's true or not. Um, There's some encouragement here. I want to tell you this. Being an introvert is not a weakness. Being an introvert is not a weakness that you need to get over so that you can become a much more mature Christian. It's just not. There's nothing in the Bible to substantiate that at all. God has uniquely wired each of us in specific ways for specific reasons. Are there areas we all need to grow in? Yeah, absolutely. But as an introvert, you're going to be able to reach people that extroverts can't. I remember vacation Bible school, I was helping at one year at a different church. And uh, my wife and I were kind of in this group together. We were leading this, this little group of kids around. And there was one girl who kind of was just having a really hard time of it. You could see that she was kind of going into herself and she wasn't really uh, participating. She was kind of overwhelmed. And so we took her outside and and we asked, well, what, what, what's going on? What's, are, are you all right? And she was, what had happened is she basically had a panic attack because she was overstimulated by all of the craziness kind of coming at her, right? Like the hype and the, and the drama and all of the uh, kind of uh, energy got to be a little too much. And so we had the opportunity in that moment to minister to this little girl, right? As an introvert, you are actually better at listening than extroverts, Extroverts are good at talking. Introverts are, are really good at, at listening. So the, the challenge is breaking through that initial wall, right? 
uh, breaking that ice, shattering it, getting through there so that you can get to the point where you're actually, you know, they're, they're willing to, to have you listen to them. So I don't know, take an extrovert to work day. Maybe they have something like that. I think there's a reason that when Jesus sends out his disciples, he sends them out two by two, right? Find someone who is good at that sort of thing and bring them along with you. This is not something we are meant to do on our own. So that's number, number three, is just talking to people. Number four is doing good. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You know this passage by heart. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sometimes we are guilty of emphasizing the first part of that passage, all about grace and, and not by works, are you saved? And other times we're guilty of emphasizing only the good works part of it, right? But all of this is together a faith that is living and active when you are saved apart from your own merits, apart from your own endeavors, apart from your own striving, that frees you up to do good works for your neighbor. See, God doesn't need your good works anymore, as Luther said, but your neighbor does. Your neighbor really does. Which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, the, the Greek translation here literally means to walk in. God has prepared good works for us to walk in. So you think about a tailor, for example, who makes a, a, custom, a custom suit or a custom pair of shoes for somebody. And he prepares them, and, and it's got to fit the contours of their foot just right. It has to be the right size and, and shape and, and color and, and everything that, that's going to match them and fit them perfectly. That is how God is going about preparing good works for you and for me. He's preparing them. These are God's works. These are good works. All that we do is we slip them on and we walk in them. God gives us these shoes. He gives you a good work to do. And you simply slip that good work on like a shoe and, and you walk in it. Now, what counts as a good work? Let's ask that question. What, what counts as a good work? Red flag. Whenever you're asking what counts, that means that you're, you're envisioning your relationship with God in terms of a give and take, in terms of Him needing something from me which He does not. But it's still good to ask the question, what is a, a good work? Well, a good work, we need to broaden our definition of a good work because a lot of times we hyper-spiritualize it. We say, okay, a good work is maybe helping an, an elderly person across the street. Or a good work is, is, is helping, um, you know, go on a, a mission trip or, 
or to, to feed the poor. Those are all good works, absolutely. But the way that Scripture talks about good works is a little bit differently. So let's go to the next slide, and, and we'll kind of redefine good works. A good work is any action that is rooted in Jesus and done for the sake of my neighbor. Good work is anything that is rooted in Jesus, in faith in Jesus, and done for the sake of my neighbor. Paul tells us this in Galatians 5, verse 6. It's kind of the key. He says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. See, faith is the key ingredient here. When you become a believer in Jesus, you are sanctified, you are justified, and you are sanctified, and you are made righteous. And now everything you do is done in faith. And so where faith is, is present, good works are present as well. So this, this broadens out the definition, our understanding of a good work, right? Like, it may look like something that's super sexy, like a mission trip. It also probably will not on a day-to-day -day basis. Doing laundry, making phone calls, watching people's kids, these all qualify as good works in God's economy. And in that sense, it's, it's something that we are all able to do. I love what Martin Luther says about this. He said, and he had a, a lot of quotes like this. When a father washes diapers or performs some other mean task for a child, God, with all his angels and creatures, is smiling. Not because that father is washing diapers, but because he is doing so in Christian faith. You see, it's the faith that makes our good works pleasing. And that faith is a gift. Now, when we talk about doing good works, a lot of people think their mind goes to random acts of kindness, right? We've, we know what that is. It's a good thing to do. But what we're talking about here is doing good works for the people that you already have relationships with. And in one sense, that's a lot harder, right? It's the people you already know. It's the people you already encounter on a daily, weekly basis. It's the people that you are building relationships with. These are the ones that we're running across, and in that sense, these are our closest neighbors. Greg Finke, who wrote uh, the book that these principles are drawn from, he says this, he says, it is important for people to see Jesus in us before they hear about Jesus from us. That's worth thinking about. Doing good works. Finally, ministering through prayer. Gospel of John chapter 17 Verses 20 through 21, Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples, 
I pray also for those who will believe me, who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus isn't just praying for his disciples here, he's praying for those who will become his disciples. When I was at the University of Minnesota, spent two years there to finish up my degree in civil engineering, I participated in Crew. It used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, but it's Crew now. And uh, over one of the summers I was there, we had some teaching on evangelism, right? They, they were talking to us about um, teaching us how to talk to non-believers primarily about Jesus. And they, then they said, all right, we're actually going to put this into practice. Next week, show up here, and we're all going to carpool together. We're going to go out to Lake Calhoun. Lake Calhoun, if you've ever been there in the summertime, it's crazy busy, just like, it's a decent, it's not a huge lake, it's, it's small-ish, but like, it, it, there's a path around it, and there's, uh, there's just people everywhere. I said, you're going to go to Lake Calhoun, and you are going to talk to people about Jesus. I said, Okay. Okay, now you're not going to go alone, you're going to go with groups. So they put us in, we, we got together with, with groups, and for whatever reason, I don't know, I was chosen as the de facto leader of our group. And so I walked up to this, this lady, the very first person that I'd, I'd spoken to, and I, I you know, very timidly kind of asked her, I was like, hey, uh, my name's Luke, we're with Crew, um, I just want to know if there's anything I can pray for you, for pray for you about. And I'll never remember, it was almost immediate. She broke down in tears and started telling me about some problems she'd been having at work. She worked for Target. I don't remember the, the details, but it was something that was clearly very near and dear to her heart. Right there, all it took to unlock that was asking, can I pray for you? I pray for you. And we did. We bowed down on the spot right there, prayed for her. I don't know what God's answer was to that. I don't know what came afterwards, but I do know that the prayer was powerful and effective because that's what God promises. I love what O. Hallisby says about prayer. He says, by prayer, we couple the powers of heaven to our helplessness. Isn't that good? We couple, we join the powers of heaven to our helplessness. There's great power in prayer. And what's more, there's a huge difference between praying for someone and praying with someone. As Christians, I think our default reaction, maybe you catch yourself saying this a lot, is, well, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. When someone comes up to you and they've got some issue, something they're, they're wrestling with, they're struggling with, you know, they're going through a hard time, I'll be praying for you, I'll be praying for you, I'll be praying for you. Kind of our, our go-to default response, right? And I noticed that as I did this more and more, I'm kind of making a commitment there. Can I be praying for you? That implies it's going to be an ongoing thing. And there are prayer requests from individuals that I come across, there's prayer requests from family members, from, from people from church. And, you know, before I, I knew it, like this, lo- this list of promises that I'm making is getting pretty long. 
So what about this? What about rather than saying, I'll pray for you, I say, can I pray with you right now? Do they find it a little bit shocking? Sure, at first. But you break through that initial barrier, you do it once. It's really, it becomes something that they, 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 they long for and that they welcome. And so I, I would encourage you as you, you think about prayer to be something that you do with people uh, and not just for people. Of course, there is both, and both of these are, are important. But the thing about prayer is that we really tend to complicate it, especially people who have been Christians their whole lives. Man, do we complicate prayer. Let's watch this video. I'll explain it a little bit better. I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church, and I would walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know if you want me to, you want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right, then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't, not, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know what to, what to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good. and She must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. She was like, dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. <laughs> Lord, you said, but seek, S is in search, E is in everywhere, E is in excellent, K is in kingdom. <laughs> You're the Alpha, Nisi, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even know his nicknames. Now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not going to let her out pray me. So I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You are good to the last drop, Lord. Because, um, Lord, I, I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosing moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, because... You no, know, as the rec as the rockets red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly, Amen. Isn't that true, though? By the way, if I ever start ending my prayers with "I believe I can fly," I would encourage you to head for the door uh, because we are not going in the right direction. But you think about what prayer looks like for a, a lifelong believer versus someone who just walked through the door, it can be a bit intimidating. Say, man, how am I supposed to, to even put sentences together to speak to the God of the universe? Well, we tend to overcomplicate prayer. That's plain and simple what happens. So our, our catechism, you can go to the next slide, Stan. Our catechism asks this very simple question, what is prayer? So why don't you respond with me, we'll just say the answer here together. Prayer is talking to God silently or aloud from my heart, period. Not very complicated, is it? Talking to God either silently or praying 
allow. And we make it more sophisticated than, it, than we think it, than it really needs to be. So just kind of an example, here's a, here's a sample prayer, okay? You can take this, you can steal it, you don't even have to credit me for it if you don't want to. But literally, prayer with someone can be this simple. Dear God, please help my friend blank with blank. Thank you that you hear our prayers and that you always respond to them in love. Amen. Eight seconds. Right? That's manageable. That's doable. So we've got our our five mission practices. Number one, seeking the kingdom. Number two, listening for Jesus. Number three, talking with people. Uh, Number four, doing good. And number five, ministering through prayer. Now, the five practices, right? You've all heard the phrase, practice makes perfect. Sound familiar, right? It applies to basketball. It applies to piano lessons. It applies to adulting, supposedly. I'm still waiting on that one. Uh, But it doesn't apply to our relationship with God. These five practices are not designed to make you a perfect or even a better Christian. They're not a formula to transform you into a disciple. Instead, Jesus calls you and makes you a disciple, not by your own efforts, but by His finished work on the cross, which we cannot improve upon. And then these steps can follow. See, Jesus makes us perfect. He declares us perfect. He forgives us and fills our accounts brimful with His righteousness by imputing it to us. We are clothed in Christ as Paul tells us in Galatians, there's no need to become perfect because in God's eyes, we already are perfect, sinless, spotless, fully pleasing to Him, lacking no good thing, okay? We need to land on that. We need to anchor ourselves to that. Now, should that throw a wet blanket on our desire to put these mission practices into play? No, not at all. I would argue the opposite, in fact. Since we have full assurance that God already accepts us, we don't have to worry about doing things perfectly, about getting it right all the time, because the gospel frees us to fail. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But it is true. The gospel frees us to fail because quote-unquote failure is never really failure when God always sees you as a smashing success. We are free to practice. Yes, as Lutherans, we don't have to be scared of that word. We're free to practice because we're motivated by love rather than fear. We are God's missionaries, but it's His church, it's His kingdom, it's His mission, and He will see it through. So may we seek His kingdom first above anything else. May we listen for Jesus by turning to His word 
May we have eyes to notice and tongues that will, will be willing to talk with people. May we do good, and may we pray for and with others. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.